All right, I'm recording these, and so is the church. So between the two of us, we ought to get them all on recording. Um, all right. Okay, that's correct. Um, great, all right. Welcome to Fight Club. First rule of Fight Club, when it comes to marriage, the first rule of Fight Club is you gotta talk about Fight Club, all right? Second rule is you gotta talk about Fight Club. Trust me. All right, one more Chris Rock. Chris Rock said, marriage is so hard. Marriage is so hard that Nelson Mandela got a divorce. All right, follow me here. Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in an African prison, beaten and tortured in solitary confinement, and finally he's released. He goes back to his wife, and six months later, he gets a divorce. It's like, I can't take it. I can't do this, you know. So, I hope what you've been learning so far from me, at least, is that if you're struggling in your marriage or your relationships or whatever, welcome to the club, the struggling humans club, that none of us do this well. Let me tell you a little bit about our organization. For one thing, if you're not a member of our club, you're a member of another club we call the Liars, Okay. <laughs> And we've said that just like the gospel, marriage has to begin at that place of seeing our need, of seeing that I can't do this well, of seeing that we need mercy and growth. And we said that the two biggest pieces of that are intimacy and mutuality. We just talked about the intimacy piece. Can I be me? Can I let you be you? I mean, uh, can, can I let you in and can I keep you in? So now let's talk about the mutuality piece of can I be me and can I let you be you? And how do we deal with the inevitable conflict that will create? Because if you have two people in a relationship, billion-dollar government grants have shown us that relationships are always more difficult when they have two people in them, all right? That's your tax dollars at work. So um, you're going to have some conflict. Um, the issue, uh, the, so we're essentially we're looking at our first two food groups from last night, intimacy and identity. Again, in Q&A, if you want to talk more about the imperfection forgiveness piece, great. If you want to talk more about how, you, what do we do to develop more the ability to um, emotionally manage, to uh, manage our impulse control, we'll talk about that. Please do. Only have time to go over, do two of them in detail this weekend. So anyway, mutuality, um, identity, I'm me and you're you, um, which means we're going to have to talk about the issue of conflict. Therefore, we're going to have to talk about the potential of fighting. Because if I'm you, if I'm me and you're you, we're going to have conflict. And that is not necessarily bad. Okay? You pleasers, you compliant types, you heard it here. Conflict's not necessarily bad. Conflict is just what happens when you have two people in a relationship, both of whom have brains. Okay? 
It's how, how, how two individuals make sense of not being the same person. If you guys agree on everything, then one of you is irrelevant, okay? We don't need you. So, some couples, you know, it kind of weirds me out. There's couples who say, oh, we never fight. I kind of go, really? Then one of you's missing, or you're asleep, or you're both compliant, or you're a conflict avoider, or you're both too nice, whatever. That's ultimately going to catch up with you, okay? Because two alive people who are in a relationship are going to have conflict, and we can resolve that. And it actually, when you resolve it well, creates more intimacy, Okay? Like, if you, if you have now fallen in love, I don't know how many of you here are singles or you're dating and you've met the one, and oh, it's all you can think about, and y'all stay up late on the phone talking, and you know, you have this wonderful, perfect little relationship. That's great. Like we said last night, you're in the ideal, all right? Now, go have a fight. Go pick a fight. Pick a fight with them tonight, all right? In other words, that's going to deepen your intimacy. How, what, what was it in the Matrix? The seraph fought Neo, and he said... You cannot truly know someone until you fight them, okay? So the, the conflict issue is like, okay, great, you're doing the oneness thing, good. Now try practicing the two-ness thing. Can you be separate people, okay? So conflict is not necessarily bad, but that's not the real problem. That's not the real plot twist. The real plot twist is this. You have a disagreement, and they're just not getting you, Okay? Or you're having a conflict, and they're not making room for you at all. They're not letting you matter in any way. Or maybe you walk in, and you've had a hard day, and they've left their clothes all over the floor again, you know? Norma cleans behind me. It's like I like to cook, and I'll chop an onion, and I'll put the knife down to reach for another onion, and I'll look back, and the knife is clean and in the block, you know? I'm like, where'd my knife go, you know? I tease her that if I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, when I come back, she's like made up my side of the bed. I'm like, you know, maybe you need them emotionally and they blow you off. Maybe that you need them sexually and they blow you off. Or maybe they're telling you how to drive, you know, the marriage killer. You know? But all of a sudden, that conflict, instead of working through the problem, or ask him for what you need in an adult way. <laughs> um, instead, you get that fed up feeling and you snap and you jab and you say, you know what, I am really sick of, you know, I am tired of talking, you know, you're, you're doing this again, you know, and all of a sudden that conflict turns into something that you're saying what you've always wanted to say, you know, or maybe the room just gets icy, you know, that feeling like the Harry Potter dementors have come in the room, like, you know. Oh my gosh, you know, and your hurt turns into anger and your fear turns into anger. Little sideline, anger is always a way to defend against more vulnerable feelings, okay? It's a defense. So you hurt them. So you attack them. So you say something cruel and they hurt you back. Now what was a conflict a minute ago is now a fight and we got to address that. All right, so point one is conflict, good. Fight, not good, all right? And so fights are going to be what we have to focus on first because as long as a conflict can stay a conflict, two people who have differing opinions and we don't know what to do with this problem, I disagree with you. Well, I think you're wrong. 
that back and forthness, that's great. No big. We can solve that. We'll talk about that. But once it becomes a fight, you're not trying to solve anything anymore, Cinderella, all right? You're just trying to win, and you're hurt, and you're angry, and you want to hurt them back. And old Mr. Problem, the one who started everything, he's over here all by himself. Nobody's even paying attention to him. He's all forgotten, you know. Nobody even cares. That's why you're having the same fight since college, because you get distracted by the fight and never solve the problem. So what I want to do this morning is deconstruct fighting, mostly, and conflict, because they're by definition these complex flowing dances kind of loaded with all this emotional reactivity and I want to break them down sort of slow it down like the matrix and kind of look at what's going on and how you can back yourself out of it I want us to have sort of some left brain frontal lobe tools for this emotionally reactive kind of event and I want you to get I want to get real practical on this one like I want you to have some things you can write down and take with you because when you're triggered in your you know, emotional brain, you're not going to be thinking well. And thinking well is going to be key in this whole fight thing. So I'm going to try to get real practical. Danger with practical is it can sound oversimplified. And you're going to be going, yeah, yeah, but what about so-and-so? And I want you to say that in Q&A because that's going to help me put more meat on the bones. All right? Good. But it isn't going to be miracle cure. This isn't raise up your spouse in the way that she should go. And when she is old, she will not depart from it. Okay? That's not, that's not what I'm going to give you here. All right? We're shooting for some principles, all right? Uh, by the way, this is important, and I'm not sure how much we will develop this, but um, it's a background theme for me. I'm assuming in this talk, there's a sense in which I'm assuming in this conference that both of you are repentant. Remember humble and repentant? In other words, in this conflict talk right now, I'm going to be assuming both of you are saying, yeah, we're fighting again, let's work on this. Which is somewhat of a big assumption, because all of us are unrepentant about something. But I'm assuming that you're not walking into this with one spouse going, you know, I'll treat you any way I want to treat you. There's the door. You're not dealing with an unrepentant jerk here, right? We will touch along the way about how to deal with unrepentant jerkiness as we go. But know that a lot of this is assuming you're both repentant. There's a science to dealing with the unrepentant bully types as we begin to again began to allude to last night that limit setting piece is huge for them remembering the baby mobile and all that but this is a fight with two people who are at least open to trying to resolve it ask me more about underpinning if you want later on so let's look at three things how to defuse a fight once it starts i'm gonna look at four steps about that how do you put a bomb back together how you put humpty dumpty back together once he's fallen. Number two, how do we swing back and try to resolve that conflict, that original problem that we had in the first place? And if we have time, I'm going to talk a little about how to avoid the fight in the first place. I'm not sure whether I'm going to get into that or not, but um, certainly we'll deal with it more in Q&A. So we got to talk about Fight Club. Number one, what's the, what was, what was the first thing we do when the fight bomb hits? When you realize you're fighting, when you realize it's, uh, you're escalating, when you realize you're saying the things you always wanted to say, number one, as we said last night, go to timeout. Super underused. You put your kids in timeout, put yourself in timeout. Now, what that means is that somebody says, whoa, 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 this is getting ugly, let's stop. Or 
okay, nothing I'm about to say is going to be in any way kind. I need a moment. Or like I told you, my wife would say, that felt a little mean. Did you mean it to be mean? Or we say, I don't think I want to talk anymore. This is feeling too hurtful. Way underused. Just somebody stop the madness. Now, here's why. Here's why that's necessary. Once you get into an aggressive conflict with your spouse or with anybody, you're going to feel that adrenaline rush. That sort of, what did you say? All right. Or like a woman in my office once, she and her husband in there, and he said something, and she just does this. She goes, and I'm like, dude, run, go. No, I'll hold her off. Just go. You know, it was scary. Anyway, you feel that jolt, you know, when things are getting ugly. The first thing to do is not do what comes naturally. <laughs> Don't go with your reflexes. See, when we encounter hostility and frustration, something happens in our brains. And that is that we're fundamentally being triggered back here in our midbrain. You know, your amygdala, your hypothalamus or you know whatever it is basically your caveman brain okay your reptile brain all right this is the level of sophistication where it's sort of like kill t-rex or run from him those are kind of your only options you know that's um so fight or flight or freeze in some cases is what people do in other words we criticize and we nag and we withdraw and we attack and we scream and we yell kind of tools of the trade and fight or flight basically to see what which of us wins, which of us loses, which of us can be right. And that's where this fight is going, see. I'm emotionally triggered back here. I'm not thinking like a homo sapien. Um, and all I want to do is, you know, get you back kind of, okay? In other words, we do the same sort of things at this point that we do with a Coke machine when it doesn't give us what we want, right? You put money in a Coke machine and a Coke drops, we're all good, right? What do you do when you put money in a Coke machine and nothing happens? You start banging on it, you know, and doing the change lever and shit, you know. In other words, we get more aggressive. It's what we do. So just put your spouse in the place of the Coke machine and you'll understand sort of what I'm talking about. You know, we up the aggression level, all right? Now, we call that a fight and that's a blast till, you know, 1.30 in the morning. But what are some of the problems with a fight? Problems that timeout will help us with. Number one, timeout is going to help stop the hurt that fights create. You're triggered with anger and hurt and caveman brain. It is law of the jungle, all right? It is kill what you eat, eat what you kill, win at all costs. And that part of us is destructive and needs to be stopped, okay? In some ways, timeout is kind of like setting limits on a child, the child part of us, because that's what we usually are being when we're fighting is two six-year-olds. I tell couples in marriage therapy that one of the things you got to realize, couple, is there's really four people in your relationship. There's you, and there's her, and there's your five-year-old, and there's her five-year-old, all right? Now, you two get along just fine. Y'all have a great time together. But then you say something that upsets five-year-old, and five-year-old comes at you with a knife. Like, really? What does that mean? Which your five-year-old then hears and like says, really, we're going playground principal on this? Let's go. And so now your five-year-olds are hating each other, and you guys are caught in the crossfire. Okay? So until you can realize that, it's like, like my wife and I will sometimes go, I'll realize she said something that triggered my own, like, you know, five-year-old insecurity. And I'll say, uh, 
okay, I'm totally like little part now. I'm like little part. Let me have a time out, okay? Because what I'm saying basically is adult John is gone right now, okay? He's not, I cannot find him. Basically, I want to throw my Legos at you, you know? That's kind of, <laughs> so time out stops that hurtfulness because that's what we tend to do um, when we're there. In other words, fights are like fireworks, you know, do not use them without adult supervision. So you got to get the adults in there, all right? And the only way to do that is to go time out until that happens, which kind of brings up the age-old question, is the stuff that your spouse says when they're really mad what they really mean? You know, you're in a fight and your spouse is like, well, I never wanted to have kids anyway. You know, I just didn't want to come out and say it. And you're like, whoa, you know, where'd this come from? Well, I'm going to answer that for you here, all right? The answer is no. That is not what they really think when you're really mad. It's not what you really think. The amygdala, the caveman brain, processes like a child. How do children process? They're ultimate. They're, there's no continuum. There's no modulation. The rest of them gets it. I promise. You know the song, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. Okay? A child wrote that. You can tell. It's not, there's no modulation there. Like, well, a couple of people don't like me, but most people do. And there's no, there's no sophistication, okay? That's how we think when we're there, all right? So first reason time out is important is because people get hurt by cavemen and cave girls, okay? So we're going to have to address that hurt later on. We got to, all right? Second reason fighting, uh, second reason time out is important is because um, the goal of fighting is wrong, and we've got to stop you pursuing that goal. Your autopilot automatic goal is wrong. The goal of a conflict is mutuality, remember? For us both to matter. What's the goal of a fight? I want to win. All right? Now, pardon me, but that's a terrible goal. All right? I mean, best case scenario in a fight, someone wins and someone loses. Now, me that doesn't work very well long term does it i mean best case scenario what you win which means you're married to a loser and the loser's not going to be very happy with you and they're going to wait for their turn all right ultimately they're going to bite you i mean think about it in regard to regular life how many win-lose relationships work very well I mean, if Starbucks is charging nineteen fifty for a grande cappuccino, that's a big win for them. Lose for me, I'm going to go somewhere else. Or if I start stealing those cool little cups they have up in the shelves, you know, that's going to be a win for me, lose for them. That relationship probably won't work very long either. Win and lose don't, well, doesn't work. So, playground principle is this. Hitting the kid with the ball will get you the ball but it won't get you anybody to throw it with, okay? Or as a client of mine said once, you can be right or you can be married, but you can't be both. <laughs> so time out. If you don't know what to do good, just don't do the bad. Now, by the way, time out is not like, time out, jerk face, I'm out of here, all right? Nor is time out passive-aggressive silent treatment like, what? I'm just taking a time out, you know, for seven days, you know? <laughs> I was talking about this, and this woman came up to me once. She goes, there's no way I'm using that timeout thing. That'll just give him time to escape. <laughs> and I'll call him, he'll be at the 19th hole. No, babe, I just need a little more timeout. You know, so um, sometimes the person who calls it needs to be the person who reinitiates it. I mean, you know, think a little bit about how you plan this, all right? But 
Now, you can, you can call time out on yourself, okay? I think I need a moment, all right? This is golf, not tennis, remember? Got to slow it down. Um, here's an example of one. Um, I did an a adolescence conference a couple of years ago, and I did a lot of parenting conferences, but I had not done one on just adolescence, and I was stuck about how to resolve it, and I figured it out. I have this man cave. And I was working in my man cave on a Saturday, and I came tumbling down the stairs to my wife, and I'm like, I figured it out. I got it. I know I'm going to do this conference. And she goes, oh, okay, good. And does about what she's doing. All right, now, what happens to old amygdala five-year-old boy? I'm like, oh, well, thanks a lot for being so excited about my life, you know? Obviously, you know, you know and I'm like, whoa, 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 time out, John. I start seeing the fireworks go, and I'm like, time out. Stop yourself. I walked upstairs. I'm like, all right, try to settle down. Now, it takes about 5 to 20 minutes physiologically for all that adrenaline and stuff to sort of slow down so you can move up here to your frontal lobes. And I thought, you know what? Um, What do I need here? I'm going to ask her a question. She blew me off. I don't even know what that means. I'm just assuming she's a jerk. That's what I'll do. So I start to think, as we'll get to in a second. So I go downstairs and I said, can I ask you a question? Which is huge. Huge way to never start a fight. We make so many assumptions. Back up and ask a question. I said, I told you about my conference. You seemed a little nonplussed, like you didn't care. Do you care that I figured out this thing about the conference? And she goes, oh, yeah, 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 I did. I'd just gotten off the phone with my mother which would depress anybody, see? And so I'm like, oh, see, it's the universe is not all about me. That was kind of my takeaway. Wow, everybody's feelings are not just about me. So if you don't know what to do good, at least just stop the bad and start asking again, why is this hooking me so much, which we'll get to too. Now, let me get real with you for a second. I was observing this the other day as I was fussing with my wife about something, and I knew I should take a time out, and I didn't. I mean, that was a good story. I did good then. I was mad at her, and I was thinking, dude, you need a timeout. And I thought, I don't want a timeout. She deserves this. Like, it feels good to be wagging my finger in her face and trying to teach her a lesson. And I realized, why is it hard to go to timeout? Because it's fun to be mean, at least for me. I don't know if y'all, anyway, I wanted to kind of get real. And so, so okay. one of the reasons you're not want to do this is because when you're that mad, when you're that hurt, I want to make my point. I don't want her to get away with it. You know? Anyway, that's me. So if you feel that way, just notice that. You know, sometimes we don't want to do timeout because it feels good to be mean. That part of us needs to be stopped. Hopefully that's where your spouse will say, which is the other side, about your spouse, hopefully my spouse at that point would time me out, all right? So anyway, that, that's, I, want, I want my own screwed upness to be part of the story. As my therapist told me once, she said, yeah, the reason that you're so good at helping other people so much is because you're so screwed up yourself. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, that was, that's really meaningful. Okay. Now, as I said, you can catch your spouse. Like I said last night, Norma saying to me, did you mean that to be ugly? Or you can take it up a notch with those more aggressive, unrepentant spouses. This is applicable to the unrepentant spouse who just wants to come in and go, oh my gosh, the house is a wreck again? Okay, the answer to that question is all day. The answer to that question is, whoa, I don't respond to that kind of stuff. 
Homie, don't do that. You want to talk to me about the state of the house? You want to ask me some questions? That's cool. You lead with a criticism. Uh Uh-uh, not playing. Not going to hear you. If you keep up, I'm shutting supper down and going upstairs. Limit setting, limit setting. Limits are as important in love as love is. Love and limits, grace and truth, peace and righteousness, Mary and Martha. I am the Lord your God who led you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. What a great guy I am. Next line, you shall have no other gods before me. God is always living and love for him is not just sweet. It's always back and forth. It's always soft and, and firm. So when I'm being kind, I want someone to open their heart to me. If I'm being unkind, what they need to protect themselves from me and what I need in order to grow is for my sinfulness to be restrained. I spend a lot of time in my office teaching people how to do Taekwondo on jerky people. All right? Because there's a science to it. And it not only protects you, it is godly. Because if you set limits on how I talk to you, I'm going to have to grow up. You can't control anybody, but you can relate to them in a way that they have to grow in order to continue to be with you. Okay? And there's a, there's a whole scheme on that. But that's why I make the distinction between a repentant and an unrepentant person. What does a repentant person need? They need love. They need restoration. They need forgiveness. They need tenderness. What does an unrepentant person need? To become a repentant person. And that usually happens in God's universe by limits. I'm not going to let you do this. If you're going to talk to me like that, I'm going to have to back away. All right? That actually is what helps train us to get to develop the fourth eye, is to have some limits set, okay? So few spouses do this. Like I mentioned last night, I'll have people come in and go, she yelled at me for four hours last night. And I literally will look at their feet, and they'll go, what? I'm going, I'm just making sure you have feet, because I'm kind of wondering why you stayed there for four hours. You know, why didn't you go, wow, you're needing to yell, and I don't think I want to be yelled at. So remember, a limit's always a rule about me. A limit doesn't say, quit yelling. A limit says, I'm not going to stay here and interact with you if you keep yelling. So now they have a choice to make, all right? So overlooked in marriages, so overlooked in church discipline, huge. All right, third reason that timeout is going to help us is because, remember, back when this fight started, I'm all triggered back here in my reptile brain. Time out is going to give us a chance to think. It's going to give us a chance to move into that fourth eye where I'm not just being emotionally reactive. The only thing that's going to ever work you out of a fight, the only thing that's going to ever help us solve the conflict is for us to think. We need to move up here to our frontal lobes. We're talking executive functioning people, okay? And like I say, that takes five to 20 minutes for all that to settle down, but timeout is going to give us, is going to buy us that time, all right? Like we said last night, we're smart up here, we're dumb back here, and this is where we need to be. So stop, think. You know how Obi-Wan says to Luke, Luke, trust your feelings, all right? Obi-Wan was wrong, all right? <laughs> trust your feelings for crying out loud, okay? That's why he lived alone on Tatooine by himself, because... You can't maintain a relationship with a woman thinking like that. Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Trust your feelings, really. We need to think, all right? Somebody's got to hit the kill switch, all right? All right, so, time out. Super underused, okay? Um, now, let's use those frontal lobes. 
What's that thinking going to give us? Step number two, go bird's eye. One of the secrets of the universe, as I said this morning with intimacy, is that marital issues are not linear cause and effect. I do this, then you do that. They are that dance, that cyclical thing. Now, one do to help your marriage is learn what your dance is, right? Huge way to intervene in a fight, huge way to address how you have the same fight over and over again, which you do, is to be able to back up and ask, what are we doing? To be able to back up and go, I keep doing A and that makes you keep doing B. What's up with that? We're doing that thing again. I call that going bird's eye. All right, sort of go fly on the wall. A lot of the value of marriage therapy or pre-engagement counseling or even what I'm doing here, what a conference does is even if your therapist is a knucklehead, to have somebody who can back up and look objectively at you is a, is a great service because once you're in the marriage, it's hard to get out of it and look at it. One of the things that I know when a couple's kind of done with marriage therapy is when I see them being bird's eye by themselves. We were coming home from supper club, and he said so-and-so, which, as you know, always triggers my so-and-so. And then we had this discussion about, oh, my gosh, you're doing so-and-so, which is going to make me do so-and-so. And I'm like, been great to know y'all, all right? They're able to kind of back up and look at that. In fact, that's how you know you need therapy. People ask me, well, how do you know if you're really bad enough where you need marriage therapy? If you're not able to back up and go objective yourself, then there's your sign. It's easy. It's like, you know, that button that pops out of a turkey. You know it's done. You need to go to therapy. If you can't back up and get objective about those kind of things, all right? So when our kids were little, my wife and I had a dance we would do all the time. Uh, we call it the, we ultimately, once we went bird's eye on it, we started calling it the Who's Day's Worst War. And you probably had this, it kind of goes like this. I would come slumping in the house at, you know, 5.30, sort of, you know, leaning over like this with my coat and my computer case, kind of staring blankly going, hey. A tone that basically says, wow, you should really appreciate how hard I've been out working providing for our family. Now, um, the problem is the source of my adoration over there is sort of blankly slumped over the stove cooking something I don't like for dinner. And she says, hey, would you set the table as if to say, welcome back from your eight-hour vacation. All right, so <laughs> now I don't know about her, but I've been working hard all day, all right? And I say, um, yeah, let, let me rest just a second, as if to say, how could you ask me to do anything? You've just been riding around in a minivan all day, okay? And so the repeat fight is sort of like, which one of us is more pitiful? And she's like thinking, well, at least you had adult conversation. I spent the whole day in the sick room of the pediatrician's office, you know? And so who's had the more pitiful day? And we would have this fight every time, you know? By the way, hear the win-lose in that? The goal of that fight is to win. I'm going to be the one who's the, who works the hardest. Hear the win lose? You learning? All right, good. Now what bird's eye does is starts to back up and observe that fight and go, we're doing that thing again. It's going to ask two questions. Number one, what are we doing? And number two, bird's eye asks, what am I doing? What's going on with me? What's gotten me so amped up? In other words, we got to stop this pattern by kind of observing it. Let's look at number one first. What are we doing? What do Norma and I need to do in that situation? Number one, time out, because my amygdala isn't very smart. I'm going to need my frontal lobe, so I need to slow it down there. Number two, I want to, I want to talk about the dance. We've done it enough times. We ought to be able to describe it. Come on, you know. So I want to be able to say, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. 
We're doing that thing. I feel exhausted about work. I want you to really feel sorry for me and like really appreciate how hard I work. But the more I want that, the more it feels like I'm putting you down and saying you don't aren't working hard. And she gets to say, yeah, you're right. That's what we're doing. I hear you walk in as if you deserve some special. You know, I need to go to the spa. I'm exhausted. Let's trade places one day. You know, and I'm like, yeah, we are doing that. You hear the bird's eye and notice the pronoun, we. We are doing this. That's where the goodness starts to happen. Fights are always you, 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 you. And once you start using that we pronoun, you, you, start, you start getting together. Bird's eye is sort of you step off the tennis court and get in that lying judge's chair and start watching the game and saying, what's going on? I think you undermine me with the children, which makes me really angry. Uh, so I withdraw and resent you and probably undermine you with the children more. And wow, we're doing that thing again, okay? Les Parrott calls this doing a conflict post-mortem, which I kind of like. You know, you go over the fight and go, yeah, well, when you said that, it kind of made me feel stupid, so I struck back. And, and you go kind of fly on the wall about that. And that will so hedge your bets for the next time, all right? Because there will be a next time, all right? There will be. There will be. All right? So what are we doing? Now, the hard one. What's going on with me? Bird's eye on yourself. You know that sense when, a, when you realize that a fight's gotten way bigger than it should have gotten? You know, somebody brought up car insurance, and pretty soon, you know, four hours later, it's like, well, maybe we should just split up. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, how did we, you know, <laughs> that sense that two plus two is somehow equaling seven, all right? Now, the question for you is, where'd that extra three come from, all right? We need to be asking ourselves that thing. Maybe it's someplace you've been wounded in the past that's never been resolved by your spouse. Or maybe it's some way you keep hurting me chronically and you never really address it. Or it could be developmental. Maybe this is about you, something you brought to the relationship. Childhood injuries, you know, your inner child, your inner Godzilla, I don't care what you call it, but your inner whatever that we're bringing and it's driving the conflict. I call these legacy hurts or legacy triggers. And they'll just sit in the background until you, you know, you're are fighting about car insurance and it turns into Hiroshima and everybody's like, whoa. Um, one I, I ran into, my wife wrote a book on Camp DeSoto. Do y'all know Camp DeSoto down in Alabama? Anyway, my wife's grandmother started it and she wrote a book about it years ago. And um, when she was writing it, she gave me a chapter and asked me to edit it and just look over it with a pen and all that. So I, I worked on it. You know, I did lots of things, had lots of what I thought were great ideas and I brought it to her, and I said, here's your chapter. And she looks at it, and she goes, hmm, all right. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll think about that. All of a sudden, I'm like, you know, like in the cartoons, like the thermometer, you know, it's like, you know. And I'm starting to get like, you'll think about it? It's what's going on in me. Now, immediately, I'm like, all right, red alerts go off, time out, don't say what you want to say, back off and, and ask this question, what is, what is that touch? Why did that light me up? I was mad. I wanted to go, well, why don't you just give it back to me then? Wow. And I sat there for a second. I didn't even leave the room. I sat there and thought, golf, not tennis, fourth eye, y'all getting this yet? And I realized this is childhood. 
There's a part of me that was always like, I want mom and dad to go, you made a hundred on this paper. We're going to Six Flags. You know, I want like, <laughs> you know, the bring in the clown and the pony. It's like, hooray, John, you're wonderful. You know, and that didn't happen enough for me. And uh, so it's like my wife didn't carry on and like bow and kiss the ring and tell me how wonderful I am. So I'm mad. And she goes, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm actually okay. She goes, are you, are you mad at me? And I said, no, this has nothing to do with you. This is me and my mom or whatever, you know. This is not you, all right? So I'm asking, where is this coming from? That is a hugely responsible thing you can do in your marriage. People get married and they think, well, now all the feelings that I have or the needs that I have or the frustrations that I have or the unpleasantness I feel since I'm married to you now must be because of you. For real? No, all right? So, Start learning about your own reactions. If you can't find them, if you don't understand them, there's your turkey baster button right there. You need to go find your external eyes. You need third parties. You need a therapist. You need a mentor. You need your small group. You need to bring it to your growth places, all right? So time out, bird's eye number three. Remember we said that fights hurt people? We got to fix that if we're ever going to move forward, all right? Um, what is hurt? If you say that really hurt me, what are you saying? Like try to put a word on it. Hmm? Not understood. Good. What else? Not known. Scared. Good. Hurt means in some way you have diminished me. You've wounded me. You've taken me down. You know, I'm sharing something and you criticize it. Or you're like, oh, great, that again. You hear the diminishment there? God, you're so uptight. Or, you know, somebody hurts me at a party and you just stand there. You don't stand up for me. God, that hurt. You just stood there. The diminishment. I'm not important. You wounded me. All right? That is hurt. Now, as we alluded to last night, secret of the universe is that people reason that people have trouble resolving on, you know, why can't we just move on with this? Why are we talking about this again? You know that feeling? Well, I'll tell you why. It's not because of poor communication skills or not knowing your love language, all right? It's because humans don't know what to do to make hurt better. We just don't know. We never taught it. And that's a big problem because until you resolve the hurt, you ain't going nowhere, boy. All right, because now the issue is not the finances or the in-laws. The issue is the hurt. Now you have two problems, or actually three problems. You have the original problem. You have the fact that you're now fighting, and now you're hurt. So you're way, way, way away from home plate here, all right? And now all I care about is to stop you from misunderstanding me and to make you quit hurting me and make you get it, that's not what I meant, or to hurt you back, and that's what your spouse is going to do. They're going to try to hurt you back too and make you get it. Who's the bad guy? And we think that's going to ultimately make us feel better, all right? It's kind of sad, actually. Oh, and by the way, remember little old Mr. Original Problem. He's still over here all by himself. Nobody's even paying any attention to him. He's like the last kid picked in soccer, you know? He's over there, remember me? You know, no, we don't remember you. We're fighting about something that happened on our honeymoon, you know. <laughs> We've lost you somewhere. 
All right, so if we're ever going to resolve any of this, much less the original problem, we've got to address the hurt first. Now, again, let me ask you all, what do you think you need in order for hurt to get better? What do you need in order to feel better? Forgiveness, cool, yes. Be heard, good. Acknowledge, good. Y'all are, y'all are knocking on my door there. We're going to address and heal hurt. The only thing humans that helps humans feel better from hurt is being heard and understood. I'm not a super big fan of I'm sorry. If you've really hurt me and you want to come and go, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not really interested in hearing more about how you feel today. You know, I'm really hurting. The fact that you're going to add more about you to the story, great, you're sorry. One of the things I like to add, especially to unrepentant people who hurt you and then just say, I'm sorry, and then they hurt you again and they just say, I'm sorry, is I like to ask, oh my gosh, thank you. Well, since you're so sorry, tell me what you want me to do to you next time that you do this. What are you willing to pay me? Are you willing to make recompense? What do you want me to say to you next time you do that? And if they go, oh, well, I'll tell you exactly what I want you to say. I want you to pull on your ear and go, you're doing that thing. And I will go to time out. I will do whatever I need. If they say, well, I'll tell you I'm sorry. And look at you. You know they weren't really sorry. All right. Anyway, I'm sorry is kind of like kissing your sister. All right. I want something more than that. I want, I want like you to get it. All right. The only thing that heals us when we're hurting is to get that you hear me and that you care that you can try it on, that you see that it's valid. That's where we get the psychobabble term validation. Because I'm saying what you're feeling, it makes sense. I get why you would feel that way. I care about that, all right? Now, this is not complicated. You, you experience this all the time in everyday life. You're driving down the interstate, some guy cuts you off, and you're like, oh my gosh, you idiot. But then you see that he looks in his rearview mirror, and he kind of gives this little wave, and all of a sudden, you're all better. It's like, okay, he knows he's an idiot. And you're like, hey, yeah, not a problem. What is it? Somehow he's like, yeah, I'm an idiot. And you're like, yeah, good. Okay, we're on the same page. All's forgiven. So we need a rear view mirror wave in our marriages, okay? In other words, we need to be able to communicate to ourselves, and they'll need to communicate back. We'll get to that, that we get it and we understand, or we're at least willing to try to see their perspective, how it feels bad. Now, this does not mean that you're throwing the match. This does not mean you're agreeing with them, they're, they're right. You're not taking a dive in the fifth. You're just acknowledging and trying on that their perspective is valid in some way. Let me tell you a story. Okay, so my wife has various, you know, minor medical needs, and um, her, her doctor retired or she moved out of town or something. So she, and she says, I need a new doctor. Well, as y'all have heard, my, my clinical office is connected to a hospital. So I'm at the hospital here and there for various reasons. Anyway, there's this doctor who's, who I, I've gotten, gotten to be friends with, sort of colleagues with. We'd refer to each other and all that. I'll call her Dr. Whitney. And she parked next to me. Um, and we would often park in the garage about the same time and walk into the doctor's lounge and, you know, just speak. And I just thought she was super cool. And frankly, I wanted her to think I was super cool. Anyway, I, um, I said, you got to see Whitney. She's awesome. And she's like, cool. So she calls Whitney's office and they can't see her till like next June. And she's like, I, I need somebody now. And I said, well, not a problem. I'll catch her in the do- doctor's parking lot and I'll just ask her. I'm sure she'll get you in. So like three weeks go by and I never see her. 
All right, so my wife's like, I really need a doctor. And I'm like, cool, tell you what I'll do. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to get like a granola bar and some orange juice. And I'm going to get to the parking lot like at 7. And I'm going to stalk her. And I'm going to sit there and I'll listen to the radio or something and have my breakfast. And when she pulls up, I'll grab her then. So that's what I did. I got up extra early. I sat there in the parking lot, sat there about 30 minutes. Up pulls Dr. Whitney. And I get out and I'm like, oh, Whitney, cool. <laughs> it's a funny coincidence seeing you here, you know. Girl, will you see my wife? Yeah, sure. Call the office. Norma does. She gets an appointment the next week. It's great. So then she sees Dr. Whitney on Tuesday. That night we go out to eat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you see Dr. Whitney. And she goes, oh, yeah, she's wonderful. And she thought that was so cute about you stalking her in the doctor's parking. <laughs> I need a timeout. <laughs> Literally, I left the restaurant and sat on the front steps for a minute. You told her? You told her I stalked her in the doctor's parking. I was humiliated. Like, she said, no, 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 she thought it was cute. And I'm like, I don't want her to think I'm cute. I want her to think I'm cool. Dr. Cox, the good psychologist, you know, we refer people. I'm not some wacko husband who's stalking her in the parking lot, okay? And Norma's like, I don't get it. She said, anyway, so for the next couple of months, I was hiding from Dr. Whitney. I would see her, and I would just kind of pull back until she, you know, kind of walked past. And then I'd go in the doctor's lounge, you know, because I was, I felt so stupid. And I felt angry, and I felt... Uh, kind of exposed and I, I couldn't let it go and so I finally thought what do you need John and I said I need Norma to get this so I sat her down one day and I said I really need to talk about the Dr. Whitney story I need you to get it and I told her I said this humiliated me this was not your story to tell I, I went out of my way to husband you well and you threw me under the bus you didn't think about how that would feel to me I felt stupid I hide from her now and she got it. She tried it on. She said, you don't want to be the sweet, dorky husband who will help his wife with her. You want to be colleagues. And I made you look kind of like, it felt like you were a goob after that. And I said, yes. She goes, and now you see her and you think she looks at you and goes, that's the guy who stalked me in the party. I'm like, yes. You hear me? I'm feeling gotten. I'm feeling understood. Yes, that's how I felt. She said, I and, and not only that, you were trying to do something loving for me. I'm like, yes. And it went away. The humiliation went away. The anger went away. She got it. That's what heals the hurt. All right? Now, that's simple, but why might that be hard to do? Not want to do that, what Norma did for me. Well, I'll tell you. I don't know about you, but the reason I hate doing that, getting my spouse that much, is it feels awful close to agreeing that I'm the bad guy. And I ain't going to do that. All right? Norma might feel like that if she gets me, if she cares, if she tries it on, if she understands, that she's saying, you're right. It's all my fault. I'm a terrible person. I roped you into my evil scheme to humiliate you in front of Dr. Whitney. You know, end of story. He said, nobody's going to do that. Okay, what's going to happen is you're going to, that's going to feel awful, and it should. And before you know it, you're going to start defending yourself, and we're back to that badness hot potato. Who's the bad guy again? Okay, so we don't want to do that, number one, because, because that would feel bad, like we're the bad guy. But number two, it's not the whole truth. 
We have only heard my side of the Dr. Whitney story. Okay? Maybe you've gotten understood, but I haven't. And that's going to push us back into hot potato again. So in, in order to avoid that, what a nice I did, but we're not done yet. In order to avoid the potential for her feeling left out in the cold, which is the reason I'm not going to hear you in the first place, we're going to have to employ a very sophisticated logical technique. We're going to have to take turns. All right? You're going to get your turn. After she's heard me, she gets a turn. I'm going to make sure she gets a turn, especially after she was that loving. I'm going to say, thank you. Do you need anything from me? Or if I don't say that, she's going to say, do you need anything else? I'm going to know that feels so good. And she can say, can I have a turn? And I need to go, absolutely. Sometimes when we have a fight and we come back and do the bird's eye fight, the postmortem, we'll say, you want to go first or me? Who goes first? Because we know we're going to take turns. Instead of two ticks and no dog, who's going to get to be heard? You both are. We're going to take turns here. So I say to her, do you need, do you need anything from me? And she gets to say, well, as a matter of fact, yes, I do. In fact, I kind of feel like you gave me a little way too much power here in the Dr. Whitney story and then have kind of bashed me for it. In other words, I'd kind of like you to own some of your own shaminess you brought to the story, your own narcissism. I mean, you want Dr. Whitney to think you're cool, and I kind of got in the way of that. I mean, can you own that? That I didn't do anything to harm you. I just did something to ruin how you think she thinks about you. Can you own that? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. You didn't do anything malicious to me. You just made me look uncool in front of her, and that's my narcissism. Bingo, you're right. Now, I get to turn again, and she'll go, thank you. And I'll say, do you still care that it hurt me? Yes, I so care. See, we're going back and forth. That is your only hope. That is the only way for both of you to matter in this, all right? Now, this will take practice, but you learn the old way, but you can learn this one, all right? Now, last step. Hopefully, you've done your timeout, you've done your bird's eye, you've done your listening. We've diminished the wildfire. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is we still hadn't solved the problem. Remember the one that started this whole thing in the first place? So, we have to go to step four, solve the problem. Here's the target. Remember, we said every fight is hopeless because it is, at best, a win-lose well, buckaroos and buckarets, nothing's ever going to get better until we create a win. Win, all right? Mutuality. Both people matter. You can't bully your way. You can't pull the submission card, you know, that says that tie goes to the husband. Yeah. Both of you have to matter. Another thing I call this is matter, matter, right? So, with healthy relationships, mutuality is the goal. What that means is that what your spouse wants in the conflict has to matter in the solution to some degree. Whether you hate it or agree with it or despise it or whatever, you both have to matter. And that's not always going to be what you want. But the day you said, I do, you agreed to the fact that you would not be the only determining factor in the relationship anymore. The good news is your spouse did too. <laughs> but, you know. 
Our family used to have an annual fight. Okay, three girls, right? Um, I don't know, do y'all do this in this part of the country? You take pictures of your children for Christmas card pictures and send them to everybody you know? You know? Okay, so three girls, we did that ad infinitum. And with three girls, you can imagine, especially as they got a little bit older, the conflict that would erupt, choosing which picture, all right? Inevitably, two of them would like any one picture, and there'd always be one who didn't like it. You know, like, this is great, this is amazing, and the other one would be like, no, my hair is poofy, you know, and so we couldn't pick that one, you know. So one year, it comes along, and they literally cannot find one. And so we pulled the heavyweight card and said, look, here's the deal. Either you guys agree on it or we're picking, you know, fate worse than death. And so they picked one. They compromised. They found one. And actually, it wasn't a good one. Um, it was just one that all of them didn't hate. I mean, that's the, all you could say about this picture, okay? So at that point, my oldest one, Callie, who's 17, she's now a therapist in Nashville, by the way, um, said, oh, I get it. Compromises where everybody is equally unhappy. <laughs> she said, think about it. If I got my pick of picture, at least one person in the house would be happy. All right? So if you're fussing and fighting, that is your goal. I want you mutually unhappy. Clients love this. They're like, thanks, Doc. Now we're both unhappy. You know, this has been awesome. But seriously, win-win is not a solution. Win-win is a commitment, Win-win is a covenant. And I want you to reflect on this regarding how you relate to one another. Win-win is a a covenant between one another that's kind of like the Marines. Nobody's going to get left behind. What win-win means in your marriage is that I learn that I can trust that I don't need to make you let me matter. I can trust that I don't need to make you let me matter. One of the reasons that we fight is because we're scared. I'm scared that if I don't fight you, you're not going to let me matter on your own. I know that. You'll throw me under the bus. So I'm going to be controlling. I'm going to push back. I'm going to be mad. So I want to control you before you can control me and drop me. We're afraid. Get it? So instead, win-win is this covenant that a couple makes that says, I will not just take my way and leave you out in the cold. You can know that is the case. So you don't fight to make sure you matter. I'm going to let you matter in some way. It's not exactly what you want because I matter too. Okay? Win-win says, if you want Chinese and I want Mexican, what's not going to happen is I'm just going to get Mexican tough on you, me and my mushu pork, or you're going to get Mexican tough me we're going to come up with something to let us both matter we'll get mexican and swinging and get you chinese takeout or we'll go to chili's and get a southwestern egg roll you know we'll do something to where we both matter here (laughs) i saw a couple a while back and he had a pretty good job but he wanted to quit it and go to med school and she had a pretty good job but she wanted to quit it and have babies you get me here so what does his quitting work to go to med school mean to her baby dreams What does her quitting work and having babies mean to his med school dreams? Right? Welcome to every marriage I know. All right? Hear the, feel, feel the tension? Feel the win lose? They knew it, and they were scared. Scared that one of them was going to get what they wanted, and they're going to get left dying on the vine. And they thought about it all the time. And they were afraid of one another. You're just going to do what you want and leave me. All right? 
But as we start talking about win-win, like, whoa, 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 let's quit, like, who's going to win this? Once a couple can stop fighting and start trying to actually solve the problem, they get so creative. And they start thinking about how they could, um, maybe he thought, you know, I, I, the way medical stuff is going, maybe I'll just be a nurse prac. And that's going to change my school a whole lot. And maybe then we can, and she's like, and I have some investments from my granddad. We could maybe use these and, and, and I could stay at home still and we could have babies and I could use, and they start getting creative, all right? I'm amazed at how creative couples get once they start fighting. But win-win means we work to solve this. I think we're too hard on the kids. You think I'm too soft. Let's get a parenting book. Let's talk to a therapist. Let's break this tie. Let's both get uncomfortable. I want to save money all the time. You think we're way too frugal. We never go on trips. We both need to get uncomfortable. All right? You want to talk about this problem right now? I want to go to bed. Here's the deal. You let me go to bed, I will bring it up tomorrow. Okay, look, we're both working here. We're both trying to work to solve this. You'll be amazed at how smart you are once you stop fighting, all right? So, is doing that always easy? No, it's hard. But what we're doing at that point is solving a problem, not fighting. And that's what marriages are for, two people solving a problem, not fighting, all right? Let's stop there. Um, big picture of this talk. Conflict is what's going to happen if there's two of you in the relationship. We ultimately need to solve the problem with a win-win. Instead, what we do is we feel afraid or triggered back here, so we turn it into a fight. At that point in the fight, we're trying to win. I'm going to hurt you. First thing we need there is to time out or else I'll live out of this caveman brain then I need to learn to go bird's eye can we start looking at what's going on then we're going to have to solve the hurt because in the process of the fight I said things that you're going to need to have understood and I do too and then we work to do a win-win to solve the problem I told you I was going to get practical and very like step by step because this is what I did when Norman and I did some therapy because of the growth we wanted to do I like wrote those steps down on a piece of paper and like put it in our bookshelf because I knew that when I got in a fight with her, I'm going to be total caveman. And I would go, wait, caveman need notes. And I would go get my notes and go, okay, don't say that. Good. You know, and so write this stuff down. And I'm wanting to be this practical because by definition, you're going to be coming out of your caveman brain. And I'm wanting to give you frontal lobe notes to go by until this becomes more second nature for you. Um, all right, let's take a break till... Just another, do another 10 minutes, and then we'll come back, and we can do Q&A. Um, I can talk some about how to, some, just some thoughts on how to prevent the fight from ever happening. We can talk about some of the other two food groups of dealing with imperfection or forgiveness or making sense of um, um, managing my emotional impulses. We can do any questions you want. And you guys have the phone number now? Do we have that? Yay, Good. Right. If you feel, feel self-conscious asking the question out loud, I'll be getting my phone too. So, 10 minutes, break.